If you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew 6, that's the first passage we'll be looking at uh, today. You know, sometimes it feels like, well, it feels like to me anyway that anxiety or worry is like just intimately tied to breathing. Like if you have breath in your lungs, you're anxious. Um, I don't know if anyone else feels that way, but um, I know God feels differently about that. Um, and the, the scripture reading we had this morning indicates that. So if I, if I feel that anxiety is such an integral part of life, then I have a problem. Because um, there's an outstanding command against having anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of implications for that. That means it's a choice. Um, I can choose it or I can choose against it. Um, and another implication that's a little more obvious is that God expects us not to have anxiety. Um, but I want to talk about some of the effects or some of the downfalls that anxiety has, not just about anxiety itself and how to avoid it, but really the dangers of it. As borne out in the scriptures, not um, just my ideas. So in in Matthew 6, we won't read the entire scripture we read this morning, but look in verses 31 through 33. Uh, This is what I mean when I say God feels differently about anxiety than I do. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, all these things, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, sometimes we've heard this these verses so many times that they just go in one ear and out the other. I mean, I struggle with this because I can I have heard this many, many, many times, almost as a proverb, right? Um, do not worry about life, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink. Well, you know, when, when you actually look at what he's saying, it embarrasses me because I don't worry about what I'm eating or what I will eat. I don't worry about what I'll drink and I don't worry about what I'll wear. I worry about lesser things than that, really. Um, and that's why I say I find it embarrassing. Uh, I, I don't think I have ever in my life worried about what I'm going to eat. Ever. Um, or what I'm going to drink, or what I'm going to wear. I mean, maybe I worry about the color of what I'm going to wear, or if what I'm going to wear is warm or hot or, you know, cool. I've never been in a situation where I was concerned about those things. Um, you know, if, if someone told me Jesus taught against anxiety, Jesus said, don't worry, I would say, okay, yeah, Jesus means don't worry about, you know, money and don't worry about your work and don't worry about other things but yeah you can worry about where you're going to get your food I mean food's necessary for survival so yeah that's okay to worry about or drink right you can live even a less amount of time without water than you can without food so obviously you can worry about what you're going to drink I mean that's men's that's my wisdom right that's that's the wisdom of the world don't worry about other stuff but you can worry about the necessities well not according to God um, and that is 
that convicts me because I worry about stuff that's not even close to being a necessity for survival. It's just not. And yet I'm, I get anxiety over those things. So why is anxiety a bad thing? I mean, you know, Jesus says, don't worry, right? Well, even in this context, we see a couple of reasons why it's a bad thing. If You know, you look in verse, um, well, in the verses we just read, you know, it's something that characterizes Gentiles, right? And again, we're not talking about in general, right? Gentiles and Jews both have two legs and both have two eyes. We're talking about their character inside, right? That they seek after, that they're motivated to go after the physical things, right? Even what's necessary, food and drink and clothing, right? Which we would think that's okay to worry about. So one reason Jesus gives even in this context is you're not to take on the character of Gentiles. Greeks, people of the world, you know, those who do not look to God, right? That's a characteristic of them. But also, in the very beginning of the passage we did read this morning, back in verse 25, look back in verse 25 and how he introduces this whole section, right? He introduces it back in, by saying, for this reason, right, do not, or do not have worry, right? Do not be worried about your life. What reason is that? For what reason? We have to go previous to verse 25. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. So here's another reason anxiety is bad. Jesus is equating anxiety, even over the necessities of life, with worshiping wealth. I know, it doesn't seem like that in our minds. It doesn't seem like that in my mind. I don't equate those two things. Jesus just equated them. For this reason, for the reason that you can't serve two masters, I tell you this, do not worry about your life. Okay, so, again, we have kind of two reasons why anxiety is a bad thing here. But my question is more, what are some bad consequences that come? Right? I trust Jesus, what he's saying, this is bad. I don't understand how anxiety is setting up another God. You know, maybe I can work it out on paper somehow, but my mind doesn't work that way. But I believe it, right? I trust him. I understand what he's saying. But what are, some, what are the consequences of anxiety? What are the bad things, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, medical, psychological, philosophical. You know, people say, oh, don't worry because it gives you acne. Or don't worry because it gives you high blood pressure. Or don't worry because it messes with your karma or something, right? I'm not talking about what the world says about anxiety. My question is, what, what does God say anxiety does that is such a bad thing? Um, I think there's part of the answer in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to turn over to 1 Peter 5. I'm going to read the first nine verses just to kind of help us get the context of how Peter is ending. He's closing this letter. 
Um, but I really want to focus on the last four or five verses of this passage. I'll read First um, Peter 5, um, verses 1 through 9. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he's been giving this exhortation to the elders, and now he's going to make this transition in verse 5, and this is what I want, to, I want us to kind of pay attention to, what he's saying. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I find it interesting in verses 6 and 7. That Jesus compares being humble with casting your anxieties on God. Did you notice that? I mean, again, this, this passage is one of those passages that I've just heard read a hundred times. And I say, yeah, you know, the devil's a lion. And he's dangerous. And he's going to eat me. Um, that's, I mean, that's not the thrust of what Peter's trying to write here, right? I mean... He's writing to the elders and he's saying, you need to exercise oversight. And then he turns his attention to the younger men and says, you younger men, because these elders have oversight, you younger men, submit yourselves to your elders. And all of you, right? then he addresses everyone, clothe yourselves with humility. So th- there's this theme of humility and submission, right? Running through the end of the letter. And then he gets to verses 6 and 7. And I, again, I do not tie these things together in my head. Therefore, humble yourselves, verse 6 under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Holding on to these anxieties, holding on to worry, sometimes we just want to, right? It makes us, gives us something to pay attention to. You know, it distracts us from other problems, right? But holding on to worry... Really, it's telling God, you know, I don't trust you to handle it. I don't trust you to handle it. I'm going to handle this because I know how to handle it. And I'm not going to let go of it. Um, Or, you can handle it, but I don't like your timing. And so, I'm going to do this in my time. And I'm going to do this in my way. Even though I know you can handle it, you know, I don't like how you plan things. I don't like how slow you've been, and I'm going to do this. And so we, we worry about things, right? We, we tie ourselves up over it, and we say, well, God's not handling it because I've taken it out of, it out of His hand. 
So now I have to worry about it. Um, or, you know, it's not that we think he can't handle it or maybe his timing is bad. Maybe deep down inside we, we suspect or we know it's not something he wants us to have or he wants us involved in. And I'm not willing to give it to him and cast that anxiety on him because I, when I get right down to it, I say, you know what? I know he doesn't want that for me. And so I can't hand it to him. So I'm just going to sit here and toil with it. And I'm going to worry about it. And I'm going to fret over it because I know God doesn't want it for me. So he's not going to do what I want. And so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to worry about it. And I'm going to be anxious about it. Because I can't hand it to him. And maybe the next step is, you know, we just believe we deserve more than we have. And we don't know that God's willing to give us more than we have. And so we say, well, you know what? Because I deserve more, and I want more, and I'm not content with what I have. And I don't know if God wants me to have more then I'm just going to take this on myself. And I'm going to make sure I have more. More whatever, right? More notoriety, more praise, more money. I mean, money's the easy thing, right? But that's not the only master in this world people submit themselves to. Um, And this is just a few things, right? But I think... When we hold on to our anxieties, right, we, we, we have them in our hand and we look at this and we say, I'm not willing to hand this off to God. This thing that's worrying me, I'm not willing to give this to Him. It's going to be a reason something like these things. I mean, I, I can't read your minds and your hearts, but it can't, really can't be anything different because God's already commanded you to give it to Him. And if you're not willing to do that, then there's some, right, there's some not good reason for holding on to that. Um... So I'm going to make a generalization here, and you guys can challenge me later if you think I'm wrong. But um, I think based on the text that we're reading here, every one of these excuses or reasons is just a manifestation of pride. Um, You know, in one way or another, we're telling God, we have things figured out. And he's not doing it right. Or he can't do it right, or he won't do it right. Or or just in general, you're not cooperating, God. So now I have to deal with this myself. That's pride. I mean, how, how do you look at the creator of the universe and say, you're not cooperating? Right? And that's what we do when we hold on to our anxieties. That's a, that is, I'm convinced. That's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, submit to each other, submit to the elders, clothe yourselves with humility to one another, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the right time. Casting your anxieties on Him. It's a matter of pride. In some way. I'm not going to say I understand all those ways, but Peter was inspired, and so I trust what he's writing here. Now notice in verses 8 and 9, kind of the more 
well-known part of this passage, how, how Peter ties what he's saying to the wiles of the devil. Right? Um, be sober. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I think what Peter's saying here is when we fail to turn our anxieties over to God, we make ourselves easy prey. You know, I mean, some people say, well, that, you know, this dog or that kind of dog can smell fear, sense fear. Don't show that, that, don't show that dog that you're afraid or that dog will attack you, right? Well, Satan doesn't, I mean, he might smell fear, but what he smells is pride. He smells anxiety. Ooh. You know, he's just a ball of nerves wrapped up over here. He's, I'm going to go play him like a Stradivarius. I mean, I'm going to use him and He's not going to know up from down when I'm done with him. I think that's what Peter's saying. You know, here are some examples. Well, I'll just make the statement succinctly first, right? Our anxieties are tools that he can use to steer us. I think that's what Peter's saying. And we make ourselves weaker and weaker to his devices when we have these anxieties that we do not give up and we do not cast on God and we hold on to these things. Um, you know, James writes almost the exact same thing over in James chapter 4, if you want to turn over there. James 4, beginning in verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And now look in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. It's fascinating to me that Peter and James end up saying the same thing, talk, starting from two very different points. Right? How did this start? What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, your pleasures, that wage war in your members? He's saying these Christians are so wrapped up in satisfying the flesh in some way, right? That they're destroying each other, dividing themselves, right? And what does it boil down to? Humble yourselves. 
Well, what was the source of it, right? The source of it was, I want. I deserve. Right? It's pride. If it wasn't pride, he wouldn't say, humble yourselves. Right? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. It's the same thing. Now, did you notice in verse 10 that what we just read is exactly the same thing, almost word for word, that Peter said in chapter 5, verse 6? Humble yourselves, where? Under the mighty hand of God, so that what? This is the key, I think. James says it, Peter says it. He may exalt you in the right time. Here's my point. And I only make one point in the sermon. I don't make three. Or we'd be here for three hours. Right? It takes me take long enough to make one point. Here's the point. Our anxieties, whatever we have, our anxieties are rooted in a lack of humility that exists because we will not wait for God to exalt us in His time. That's a long sentence. I'm going to say it again. Our anxieties are rooted in a lack of humility that exists because we refuse to wait for God to exalt us in His time. Why don't I have what He has? Why don't I get relief like this person gets relief? Why have I not received the recognition that this person has received? Because God hasn't exalted you yet, so be patient. I mean, that's what Peter and James are saying, right? What are you worried about? The root of it is a lack of humility before God. And I'm not sitting here saying these things to somebody who's solved this problem. I mean, I unfortunately fight anxiety all the time. All the time. Some of you have probably heard me say, well, I'm going to heaven anyway. Right? That's a phrase that I use to sort of get myself back off of this anxious thing and say, well, whatever's happening around me, I'm going to heaven. Right? That helps me. I'm going to heaven. He's promised me. He doesn't break his promises. I'm going to heaven. So whatever's happening in this life. But that if you hear me say that, you know I'm fighting anxiety. Right? Satan will play on those anxieties. And he will devour you. Right? And the way he does it is he's going to lean over your shoulder and he's going to whisper in your ear exactly what you want to hear. You deserve more than you have. You are a better person than this person. And look at all the benefits they have. Why don't you have those benefits? You work harder than everyone else around you. You deserve more recognition. If we would wait and say, you know what, I'm going to wait for God to recognize me then how would those anxieties ever work on us? They wouldn't, right? 
I'm going to wait for God to give me exactly what He wants me to have, or I'm going to determine to know that God has already given me exactly what He wants me to have, and I'm going to be content with that. And I'm going to say, man, God is great to that person who has more than I have. God has blessed that person greatly. That's fantastic. He's blessed me too. What it boils down to this, if God isn't enough for you, Satan's going to eat you for lunch. I mean, that's as simple as I can put it. If God is not enough for you, then Satan is going to eat you for lunch. He's going to have his way with you completely. That's how he works. He's very good at it. He's had a lot of practice. If God isn't enough for you, and you're honest enough to admit that to yourself, right? If you look at your life and say, you know what, okay, God really hasn't been enough for me. If God isn't enough for you, but you want Him to be enough for you, you've got to start by casting your anxieties on Him. Um, I'm not sure I can tell you exactly what that looks like, but I know it involves prayer. You gotta talk to him. You gotta tell him what your anxieties are. Say, this is what I'm worried about. And this is why I'm worried about it. And now I'm gonna let you do whatever you want to do with it. I'm gonna stop thinking about it. I mean that that's what Peter told us to do. That's what God told us to do through Peter. Because the danger is, it's not, yes, what Jesus said, absolutely true. Yes, those things characterize the Gentiles. Those things mean that you're serving some other God, right? But the way you get to that point is that you start with this anxiety that Satan then plays on and turns and manipulates and drives you wherever he wants you to go. We've got to get rid of those, even the smallest ones. And say, God is enough for me. I don't need more. Right? Just think about it this way. What better time to be exalted than when God, than the time God has specifically chosen? Now's the time to exalt Angela. Right? Like God picks it. He says, this is it. Who's going to pick a better time than God? Or who can exalt you higher than the creator of everything? Is there anybody on this earth who can give you more glory and more exaltation than God can give you? There's not. So wait for Him to do it. Cast your anxieties off on Him. He'll do it. And this, this is kind of my favorite thing too. Who's going to counter or undo His exaltation? When God decides to do it, who's going to stop him? When God says, now's the time to exalt you, who's going to prevent it from happening? Or who's going to cast a bad light on it? Or who's going to cast aspersions on it? When God exalts, that's it. So don't, I say don't as a command, right? I need to hear this. We shouldn't. We must not get wrapped up in 
exalting ourselves. It's going to be our downfall. Humble yourself before God. Be honest with Him about your anxieties. Give them to Him. But that blessing requires a relationship. We have to be His child. And if you do not have that relationship, then the people around you are the people to talk to about how to get that relationship. It doesn't come through us. It comes straight from Him. But we can help you find it. If you're in that relationship and you have just been buried in anxiety, talk to us. I mean, we all share the same temptations every day. Talk to us. And we'll go to the Scripture and we'll look for ways to solve it because we know from 1 Corinthians 10, God always provides a way out for every temptation we'll ever face. He's faithful. Thank you for your attention.